Welcome to the 7,338th day of Celebrity Survivor Black Hole Edition. Hans Reinhardt is still at the top after 7,338 days holding the totem pole, giving him the deciding vote as to who will be lobotomized next. Let's cut to his confession cam. I think Max is holding food. What he doesn't know is that I have the immunity idol. I hate you, Max. I love you, Max. Having just come a close second in the coconut bikini obstacle course to Dr. Reinhardt, Maximilian, what are your thoughts? Missed it by that much. I was surprised by this movie. In many ways. <laughs> I to say, I was regretting my decision. I, I think this would be something I'd share to my kids. Oh, that's good to hear. I think it's about a father's love for his child. Oh, absolutely, yes. And uh, a complete stranger's love for that man's child. wore really <laughs> ugly outfits. <laughs> Puke yellow, prom night, pale blue, you know. I, I don't even know <laughs> yeah. where to start Definitely with this film. Definitely not a movie I would consider watching unless you tell me to. From the top? From the top. <laughs> okay. Hello, I'm Derek. And I am Peter. And this is The Mog. In this podcast, one of us suggests a beloved movie from our childhood for the other to watch. And then we talk about it. What made us laugh? What made us cry? And whether or not it explains our love of black holes. Big black holes. (laughs) Once you go black, you never go back. Oh, so I've heard. So I have heard. I'm guessing that the movie that we're talking about is from a 1979 film. What would that be, Derek? It's The Black Hole from 1979. Yes, it's one of yours. (laughs) Um, And do you have an alternative title for this film? I had The Black Hole, The Adventures of Max and Artu Derpio. (laughs) (laughs) He looks pretty derpy. He's pretty derpy. It's... It's totally incongruous with everything else around him. Those eyes just boggle the mind. Um, I actually had three titles for this. Um, oh. Uh, 20,000 light years over the black hole. Oh, right. Do robots dream of Dante's Inferno? Ah. And the flying penis in the ass end of space. <laughs> it's a flying penis. <laughs> Have you seen the shape of the uh, of the sickness? Oh, well, and the probe as well, yeah. <laughs> there certainly was a probe going into that black hole, I tell you what. And it it's came out the phallic. other end as well. Yeah, very phallic. <laughs> yeah, so this is actually a Walt Disney film. Yeah, much like um, Watcher in the Woods. Yep, yep, we're finding a theme. It wasn't intended, <laughs> it just kind of... Ended up that way. It was directed by Gary Nelson. Yeah. Before you do that, I'll do a synopsis. Oh, yes, please. So, a research vessel finds a missing ship commanded by a mysterious scientist on the edge of a black hole. (laughs) 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 It's a very uh, in-depth story, this one. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, mysterious ship uh, pretty much sums it up. It's, It's like... The, the only thing that makes this movie mysterious is the set, the environment, and the music. Just not so much the characters. Mm. This is one of those ones where, I, you know, the more I looked into it, 
the the more I saw the pixels start to appear mm. in the picture. That being said, I still really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, for a variety of reasons, but. Um, yeah, it's not a perfect film. Mm. I know it didn't do well at the box office, but I still enjoy it. And and it is very much a childhood film for me. Yeah. But uh, do you have any background to this film? Well, or- like you say, it was directed by Gary Nelson. He was sort of, he was a newcomer. Um, he did Freaky Friday before this. And later on, he went on to make Early Edition. Do you remember that TV show? No, I don't. Uh, it was that? like where he gets this paper and that tells the future. And then he has to oh. save the day. Oh, yes. That that had that guy in it who did things. <laughs> but it was originally uh, meant to be directed by John Howe, who was Watcher in the Woods. Oh, really? He, yeah, there he was meant to go. be directed. So, there's, so the there's link. a strange, strange connection between me and these films. I know what it is. It's that there's a dark broodiness to these films. You know, there's something mysterious and otherworldly going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like the feel of this film a lot because mm. I was surprised. It is a Disney film, like you say, but there's very there's a lot of Kubrick in here. I thought um, with 2001: Space Odyssey and that sort of is heavily influenced by that. Obviously, the Star Wars link. Yeah, it's like they it's like they were inspired by a few films and they decided let's see what happens if we just whack them together. Mm. Um, because this went through a bunch of scripts. Like, it was originally going to be pegged as a disaster film. It was called Space Probe 1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I love that. But what is it with all these holes and probes and things? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just um, all space terminology has something to do with that. And it was as in reference to your title, 2000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was very Jules Verne. And- it did have a, yeah, it does have a sort of that vibe to it with the captain and the music of this which does greatly add to the um the feeling of this film was by john barry yeah and he did 11 bond films oh really 11 james bond films he also did out of africa and dances with wolves oh right dances okay that's right so we've got another connection there i liked um the music it was quite good it's a nice score. I really liked it, yeah. Mm. And it had the overture, you know? Like, this was Star Trek, the yeah. the motion picture. It started off with the overture as well. That I noticed that too. And I was like, actually, this doesn't have not just an act one. Mm. Um, and it goes for a while and you wonder what's going on. And you're checking your TV to make sure that the screen's still working. That's <laughs> true. I like there was this long sustained fanfare ending and then the next verse. <laughs> it just sort of kept going. I was like, wow, cool. Well, apparently this was like one of the last films that actually did that. Yeah. They did do it in the past. Yeah, Gone with the Wind, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, but this actually was nominated for two Oscars, Best Cinematography and Best Visual Effects. It lost out to Apocalypse Now and Alien. Oh, so- right. It was in high esteemed sci-fi film, um, you know, in this year, 1979, there was Alien and Star Trek. Mm, Yeah. And it's really interesting that those films come out because there's a lot of similarity and overlap between them, Mm. I feel. It must have been the influence of 2001 and Star Wars in terms of um, sort of like a standard beginning, at least, to to films around science fiction. Mm. Um, and this film starred uh, Maximilian Schell as Dr. Hans Reinhardt. Yes. Hart. He's an Oscar winner, did you know? No. 
he won an Oscar for Best Actor, Judgment at Nuremberg in 1962. Oh, right. And he met the director before this and... Uh, they were just having a chat and he said, have you watched this this TV series behind Washington behind closed doors? And then Nelson says, yeah, not only did I see it, I directed it. <laughs> when <laughs> Shell gives him a hug and says, I'll do your film. It was like really dramatic. It was a very random story. I kind of like that though. It's the only reason he got on board with this. Yeah, and it kind of shows he's like the only actor there that's really giving it a giving it his all. Well, I don't know, Anthony Perkins, man, he's from Psycho. Norman Bates, he's amazing in this. Doctor Alex Alex Durant and Robert Foster. I'm a big fan of him, man. Jackie Brown and Mulholland yeah, Drive. Jackie Brown. Yeah, but I mean, I guess there are a few standout characters in this film to me that just seem to sit above some of the other characters like the robert forrester character you know jackie brown's character and um the joseph bottoms lieutenant charlie Pizer, and yvette mimieux as dr kate mccray they're all kind of they kind of were just characters out of a science fiction television series to me mm. um even alex durant the anthony perkins character yeah, there was something interesting going on between him and and uh, and Dr. Reinhardt, but um, but Dr. Reinhardt really did seem to just take the limelight from everyone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have an important question: What kind of songs do the planets like to sing? Uh, Neptune's. <laughs> oh God! Uh, is this a? Is this like? <laughs> Is this a prelude of what's to come when we're going to when be getting do, into the act? When do astronauts have lunch? At lunchtime. Oh. Dude, oh. You're talking, oh. Man, the, this stuff, I have to be writing this stuff down for Christmas. But the it. important question was, how has this film touched you? Oh, yes. Yes. Um so I very much remember the cover of this film. Like if you've seen the uh, the poster for it and the on video cassettes and all of that, um, it's it was almost uh, one of those films. I think we must have tortured our parents with because whenever we'd go to the video store, it'd be one of those things that would just leap out at you. Wow! Because you saw that you see the black hole and this dark ship, and you've got the uh, the lines, the array, that graphical array thing, and just very vivid. Uh, poster but very dark mm. and uh, foreboding yeah. and um yeah i loved it and uh, so i remember going to the video store all the time and picking that one out and the video store we used to have um nearby didn't actually have the cassettes you know how at the video stores you all had the cassettes sitting at, on the rows people would pull the cassettes out and bring it to the front counter these ones didn't have that they just had cutouts of the titles of the posters oh wow that were laminated and you'd take the laminated cover to the front desk because they were that valuable they, they, they were so 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 valuable they're so, worried about people stealing them must have been the reason i don't really know why but that um yeah that was the thing so you'd be looking for your laminated video and if it wasn't there then you knew it wasn't out oh they also had, I also remember the Lord of the Rings animated film. We used to get that from the store all the time as well. That had that oh, card, wow. yeah. But uh, it, it very much, like many of the films from childhood that I really remember, was it had that darkness to it. 
like that mysterious music that would play throughout, um, that that sort of quiet, churchy feel of the of the ship, and at the beginning when the ship just seems to be a hulk in space, and then it lights up. All this mystery that starts off right at the beginning, yeah, and the effects, um, and then going into the black hole, uh, you know, and out through the other side, just and it was all really like going into heaven and hell, yeah, all of this stuff. And as a little kid, you're going, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah, your brain's your brain's melting down. Wow. Um, there's something about those dark films that seems to really resonate with people, or kids, I think. Um, you're watching something that excites you and that interests you, but there's also a level of fear to it as well. Mm. Um, yeah. So it was a, that's kind of where my, my thoughts and feelings of it go when I think about this film. Yeah. You mentioned that your brother loved this film as well, Chris. Yeah. Um, he's a big fan of this film as well. I'm not sure when he, when the last time he saw it was. Would you watch these together on VHS? Yeah, it'd be one of those ones that we would watch together. Mm. Sometimes I don't quite remember sitting next to my brother with some of these films, probably because my eyes were literally glued to the screen and all else disappeared. It captivates you. I like this. It does. Um, But what did you think? Yeah, well, I liked it. Yeah, absolutely. So what was your act one? Every horror science fiction film in existence. Oh, right. Why? <laughs> because as soon as the film starts, I get a vibe from a whole bunch of different films of this, you know, the like alien, this lone vessel in space or event mm. horizon with the ship. Yeah. Star Trek, the motion picture. All of these things seem to start in that quiet solitude of space and the mysteries that come about. So like the event, event, this it's like Event Horizon stole a lot from the black hole, which stole a lot from 2001. Yeah. So it seems like the beginning of this in, in some ways really was the setting for a lot of uh, horror science fiction or science fiction with that dark element to it. Mm. It's effective though, I think. Yeah. But but there's also some of the, the tropes of the era, like the ESP. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that came out of nowhere. It did, didn't it? It's like they chucked it in there with everything else. And I like how it's only ESP, like, with the robot. What does it say about all the men? <laughs> what are they saying? And men are too stupid for ESP? <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just that um, after a while, you just have to shut a part of your brain off and just, you know, communicate with something that makes logical sense. <laughs> like a robot. But my act one was prepare to have your black hole probed. <laughs> and it starts with the overture, like we were saying. It's that very much a space opera, isn't it? Yeah. It's selling an epic, this overture. The the music in this is really giving you this epic feel to a film. Mm. And, uh, and a lot of the time you can kind of feel it because of the visual design and the, the size of the ship. And the special effects for the time were really good. Yeah, yeah. And like they're heavily relying on um, those sort of, they're channeling the sci-fi late 80s, sorry, 80s and late 70s vibe with the theremin and the instruments. And, um, you know, the green grid, that was CG. And that was like the longest CG sequence to appear in a film to date. (laughs) Yeah. 
But also the, the font was very, you know, it was like that fixed width font typed yeah. in. in so like uh, unreadable font. <laughs> what I find interesting is that, you know, this is modeled after Star Wars. Like even the music, it's got that military fanfare style. Um, well, Star Wars very much borrowed from Holst. If anyone's listened to Holst, the planets. All right. Sweet. It's uh, very much from that. And so is this, yeah, man, some of the musical themes in this are very similar to Holst. Mm. But what I found was interesting is that Star Wars didn't really choose to adopt those sci-fi stereotypes. It went another way. I think uh, the tone was very different. Star Wars always had this sort of, it starts with action. Mm. Star Wars doesn't start with the quiet beginning and the, the looking off into space. It very much starts blaring and continues blaring throughout and not in a bad way at all. Um, but I mean, you've got the, like the, the, the letters in Star Wars just start, you know, and then you have the scroll. It's all exciting, all exciting. Whereas Black Hole starts very softly, you know, the quiet and the solitude of space. Yeah. But it's sort of like, you know, that sci-fi. It's all about the science and they talk about, you know, yeah, science straight away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Whether it's right but Star Wars or not. <laughs> doesn't even go into science fiction, even no. though it's a science fiction film. It doesn't really... It really is more science fantasy, isn't it, than, mm. than um, science fiction. It doesn't worry about the science of things in Star Wars. Mm. Um it very much would get bogged down with the science in Star Wars. But uh, I think in this, they really do try to use that. Um, they try to lend a bit of sciencey, wyancy techno babble. It does. So it's in 2130. It's very cerebral. It's a very Peter film. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Mr. Paisa, he's got this entrance floating with his arms up. What's up, Vincent? <laughs> And Vincent looks pretty goofy here. I think it's the eyes. It's just those, the eyes, yeah. It's like Walt Disney. It was a requirement in the contract, I think, for Walt Disney to make a film. <laughs> and it sort of makes him look surprised. Yeah. Just those two dots in his eyes. It reminded me a bit of the Hamburglar. Do you remember the Hamburglar? He's got those burger <laughs> for a head. Yeah. And, um, it's true. Absolutely. It's just this is the most ridiculous character, the Hamburglar. He's had a hamburger for a head, but he'd steal hamburgers. He'd steal burgers to eat them. It's sort of like cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, what can I say about the Hamburglar, Derek? What can I say about <laughs> <laughs> well, it looked like Vincent. And yeah. um, it's the largest black hole they've ever encountered. And then they have a look at it, the holograph. Yeah. And I found that term was interesting because it later became the hologram. Mm. But holograph is actually more accurate because, you know, we've got photographs. 
Mm, and, that's um, true. Yeah, so it's interesting how these terms originate and like summits from, you know, fiction and from science and yeah, just how things evolve like that. Like holograms more telegram mm. than uh, telephone. But there was like green screen effects here. It was really well done. Just um, how they, you know, overlay the the black hole on top of their faces and they're talking about it and mm. you know the most destructive force nothing can escape it not even the light it's like dante's inferno yeah um, it sets it up well yeah and a lot of the reviews that i did look up generally i try not to look at too many reviews for, for films that we're about to watch but a lot of the quotes in this because there are a lot of quotes, a lot of quotes getting chucked out, particularly by Vincent. It's, it seems to just just try to chuck in as many quotes about anything and everything as, as humanly possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Would you agree with that or do you feel like um, those quotes... As well, they at in, the they start, kind of I right. didn't realize that was what was happening and mm. I thought it was quite a nice touch, mm. but they definitely <laughs> went overboard yeah. as it went, went along and you realize, okay... They're just throwing them in now. <laughs> yeah. They're just trying to sound pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. trying to justify this sort of lack of dialogue with <laughs> yeah. like borrowed lines yeah. and borrowed concepts. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I actually, I must admit, it never really bothered me. All of the, all of the cliched lines that they were throwing backwards and forwards deliberately. Yeah. I didn't actually mind it. I thought it, I found it a bit quirky and a bit different from the same old stinted dialogue of many science fiction films. Yeah. But at the same time, I guess you can flip that over and say that they were trying to, they were being a bit pretentious, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, the thing was that it was, it was who was delivering the lines and sort of at this early stage, you don't really know the characters that well, mm. but you know, this guy, Mikhail's Navy, what was his name? <laughs> uh, do you mean Harry Booth, Ernest Borgnine? That's him. Yeah. 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 yeah he yeah. was in the Poseidon so, Adventure, another um, disaster, disaster film. film. Yeah. But he's the one that said the Dante's Inferno line. But then later on, you realize he's not... That doesn't ring true with his character at all. No. Why would he say something like well, that? Well, he, he is a journalist. So, in some ways, it was accurate. That, oh, um, is he a journalist? That's true. I believe he... Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he talked about being a writer. He was, he was the least literate person on the crew, but he was also <laughs> the writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's a monster, all right? A rip in the very fabric of space and time. And it reminded me of Chris Nolan's Interstellar at this point, mm. even just seeing it. It's quite a different representation of it. It's the more traditional view of the black hole. Yeah. Uh, you know, is that sort of wormhole Yeah, entrance. the, the uh, whirlpool. Mm. Uh, whirlpool of light. Um, but it's like seeing something new when I first saw Interstellar and seeing that black hole is like wow that's a very new interpretation of it and um, it sort of expands your mind a little and I can imagine back then in the 1979 just how sort of mind-blowing this would have been mm, yeah well I, as a young kid watching it it certainly was the definitive view of what a black hole should look like mm. um, because it wasn't a black hole but it had characteristics to it yeah but then they're sort of they uncover that it was her father's ship so they find the ship and it's very mysterious they're talking about this sort of 
uh, mission to discover habitable life in space and how it was sort of abandoned and they don't know whether her father's still on it and it's really setting it up here. They do create some level of emotional connection to being on that ship and going to that ship because the captain very much couldn't give a damn about going on board the ship at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly is not a scientist. Uh, or he, like you've got two scientists in this, I believe, as the doctor, the the McRae and and Durant, yeah, who are more curious and and yeah, uh, the captain's like, oh, let's just get home. Well, he's trying to keep them safe, and at this point, the the ship is just a black silhouette. I really love that. Yeah. It's really mysterious. I get that Dead Space vibe as well. The Event Horizon and Dead Space, you know, the the idea of the Hulk in oh, space. Right. Very foreboding. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah, there's just so much. I, I really feel that this did have an impact on future science fiction. Um, for all the criticism that gets chucked its way, there's some elements to this, the visual effects in this, that very much, I think, have had an impact. Yeah. And even some of the designs of the ships were was interesting, like the three thr- thruster design. Sort of, it's different. It wasn't really. It was unique, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of time and effort went into the creation of that stuff. And I think it also in- influenced the plot as well. There is when I was reading about this, there seemed to be so many instances of where a person received the script and they said, "We need to rework this script." <laughs> and it just seemed to get reworked and reworked and reworked. And at one point, you know, they, they used visual effects and the discussion around the visual effects to influence and develop the script as well. Uh, this this sounds like it had more rewrites than um, Last Crusade. <laughs> Last Crusade, they pulled it off though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you say this went? Um, I would say as a kid watching it, I think they pulled it off. Mm. But as an adult... There are elements to this that are a little jarring. Like the it's almost like they did all these visual effects and then they thought, okay, now we've got to design the robot who is the main character of this film. Because mm. I think he has this like the most dialogue <laughs> as well. And he does the most. Yeah. He had a big part in this, hey, and then they have two of them and then yeah. they have, off each they other. Have Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy Bob, Slim Pickens. <laughs> And there's another reference, actually. That was, um, he was in Dr. Strangelove as the atomic jockey, yeah, yeah. the bomb jockey. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was also in um, some animated uh, Disney films as well, I believe. He's got a great voice. Oh, and, and he was in Blazing Saddles. Oh, was well. he? Yeah, yeah. Um, what did he play in that? I think he was the uh, the bad guy's offsider. Oh, um, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. But some of like the anti-gravity moves from the actors in this were really quite convincing. You know, she comes up the hat- down the hatch and flips over. It's mm. very seamless. You don't sort of feel the cables or anything. And apparently they went to circus camp for two weeks to practice their balance. Oh, is trapezes. that right? Wow. But yeah, it's got that alien vibe um, from the same year. Mm. The empty ship on the commuter console. They're sort of moving into it. So, moving the plot along, they, they're exploring the ship and then they move outside the radius of the gravity and the black hole starts to pull them in. 
So a bit of action ensues and, and Vincent almost gets pulled out into space. Yeah. And, uh, and he, through his own, you know, his own fortitude, saves himself. Well, that was an epic MVP move. Like he sort of lets go with his claw and then he shoots the cable <laughs> to save himself. Yeah. But the way it was done, it was really <laughs> slow motion. It wasn't know, dramatic at all. <laughs> it would have been such a cool thing. <laughs> but it was just done in such a matter-of-fact way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, it's amazing how a, a robot that looks like it's designed to show so much emotion shows so little. Yeah, it it's so just dramatic. It just looks constantly surprised. <laughs> and did you look up what Vincent stood for? Because it's an actual acronym. Yeah, what was it's it? It's not a very good one, though. It's Vital Information Necessary Centralized. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> it does. does not make sense. Much like computer acronyms these days. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the the craft gets their their ship gets damaged in in the attempt to escape, and they manage to get back into the anti gravity environment of the um, Cygnus, and they dock with it. And it lights yeah. up as, as they're going towards the ship. It lights up like a Christmas tree. Glows from the inside. Mm, that was epic. Great. Um, but a couple of things I wanted to talk about. The use of miniatures. Um, that was amazing what they did here. It looked great. Just the way they light it with these practical lights, like these little spotlights. Yeah. And they used this camera system that they invented, ACES, another acronym, acronym but it actually means something now. Automated camera effect system. And it um, was basically similar to the what they use in Star Wars, but they couldn't borrow their camera, so they invented one. Mm. Um, and it was done by this work uh, with all these matte paintings from Peter Ellenshaw. He's responsible for all the visual effects. He made like 150 matte paintings. Now that's an MVP this. right there. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, it just I love that. Um, the work that they did with just how the sense of scale and you really get this sense of not being a miniature. Mm, it's very good. And and such a complex ship as well, the design for it. It's mm. not just your simple monolith type. Yeah, and there's like transport lines and different, you know, there's the whole um, generator section and there's the... The section with the plants inside the farm. Mm. It's really cool. Yeah, it's very well designed. And um, when they do end up docking with the ship, uh, you know, it opens up and it's all quiet. There's just there's something to the solitude of the ship. And I got almost a feeling that this was like the indoor slow motion picture. <laughs> Why? Yeah, well, you know, in Star Wars, they go through all of these halls and stuff in space of the of the Vija probe whereas in this they seem to do the same thing but inside because they're exploring the bowels of the ship but there's no one there nothing's happening and it's just a very slow progress towards actually getting to the bridge of the ship yeah i guess it sort of i didn't notice it much because the score was working really well yeah. with the story there it sort of has this big impactful brass hits when they reach these big expansive reveals of key set pieces yeah I must admit, um, it didn't really bother me, um, but I did notice that it was taking its time to get there, and I think that might have been a bit boring for some audiences. Mm. Oh, I had a funny line that I got to go back to. I'm sorry, I blew my stack, Dan. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just out of the blue. 
Oh, Charlie. Sorry I blew my stack. Oh, man. We all have a spot, spot, soft spot for the little guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, huge wait, are they talking about sex? <laughs> <laughs> Blowing stacks, soft little guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Down, but never for the full count, Dr. Kate. <laughs> I like Vincent. Vincent will always <laughs> rise again. He's very sassy, hey. <laughs> oh, God. I'm here to educate you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he basically says, he even says it at the end, we're the best. We're the best. <laughs> we're the best. We're the best. It made me think, actually, like, if we had Siri, um, you know, we've got pretty much AI now that we talk to. You know, hey, Siri, tell me this. But what if it was quoting, like, quotes <laughs> to us instead, like... You know, Derek, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. I'm here to educate you. <laughs> hey, Google, can you read me the chunky brown brownie recipe? For greed, all in nature is too little. You fat tard, go for a run. <laughs> you fat tard. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about it. This is what we need. I think I'm going to write one and call it Maximilian. Yeah. Not Vincent? <laughs> Maybe Vincent. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. It does get a little bit over the top at, at times with his quotes. Mm. Um, it, he's so uh, condescending to absolutely everyone. <laughs> Later on, definitely towards Charlie. <laughs> he was very condescending. Well, this is my act two, actually. I was moving along pretty quick. Oh, okay. So you felt that as soon as dialogue occurred... It was that. <laughs> well, it was. It took quite long. It was about a third of the film. Oh, is that right? I didn't really look at the time. Yeah. So I had Act Two. Like a Reinhardt cowboy, riding out on a probe in a star-spangled rodeo. <laughs> like a Reinhardt cowboy. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Uh, that's that is truly awesome man that's 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 just uh i I love it i love it um well it's still better than mine which i actually realized i didn't do an act two for (laughs) oh no so basically my act two would just be this is a death ship Oh, it was the death ship, yeah. Mm. And they start bringing out the robots with twin guns. They look kind of cool. Yeah, I like the guns in this. The sound effects and the um, the visual effects of the guns is pretty cool in this. But they do bring it back to the human side because Captain Dan says, careful, Kate. And, you know, Kate still thinks that her dad might still be on board. And she's, you know, she says it's hard not to get her hopes up. Mm. Yeah, and I, I guess that's that's the thing that finally we get that they walk in the bridge and no one's responding, and then of course sitting on his couch all relaxed and chilled is uh, Doctor Reinhardt. Hans Reinhardt. Hans. And he has to have an accent, right? <laughs> yeah, I, and and we've been talking, and I'm a bit confused, but but yeah, you go ahead. I thought he was um, South African. Yeah. I think that you're probably the only person in existence who thought he was South African, but that's okay. Because Maximilian's there and he introduces him and he goes, oh, he's such a nice little robot. He's ombless. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, yeah, Derek, that 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 you're right. That does convince me. That does sound like Dr. Reinhardt. <laughs> um, I'm convinced. I'm truly convinced. Um, My robots are programmed to react against the, any act of aggression. Oh, man, at this point, I think if I tried, I'd end up sounding like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's what you might call a Mexican standoff. It's David versus Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> but if he's not South African, where would he be from? I think, I think, judging by the name Hans, I'm going <laughs> to just make a leap here and possibly German. But... Maybe not. I don't know. Nah. That might be a racist comment on my part. Nah. He's he's armless. He's nothing but a little prawn. Filthy little prawn. (laughs) Filthy little prawn. Uh, (laughs) uh, Man. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm convinced. Absolutely convinced. Uh, (laughs) But I liked Hans. They they lit his face really well. He just had this spotlight on his eyes and they were all dark and sunken. Mm. He had a bit of this Marlon Brando apocalypse now thing going on. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he was probably a bit easy to work with, I would say. (laughs) But man, he he certainly did like like some of the lines of this guy. He's more than just a narcissist. Mm. And he was 20 Earth years alone. So they're sort of hinting that... The uh, gravity of the black hole had slowed down time, so it's quite a lot longer in his experience. Ah, right. I didn't actually pick up on that. But he had these medieval sort of looking robots and he commented on that and he said, oh, it's because I'm a romantic. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. He he did appear romantic to me. (laughs) Uh, He certainly was romantic towards Dr. Durant. (laughs) He was, right? Uh, Yeah. I wasn't sure who he was flirting with more, Alex or McRae. Well, Alex was appealing to his sense of intellect and he really appreciated that, I thought. Yeah, he he loved his ego stroking Mm. and he he got a lot of it. But speaking of the Mexican standoff, there was um, a sort of battle of wills there between Dan and him. He said, I said calling him off. And he says, I'm my ship, you ask, Captain indeed call him off please so there's a sort of battle of wills there and Mm. a little bit of complexity to the story yeah that's true that's true i guess some of this stuff kind of glosses over for me but you're right there's um there is an element there where the captain is trying to get an understanding of what's going on and to sort of he certainly doesn't want to be there And he's doing his best to get things done as quickly as possible to get away from there. Mm. Which I actually thought was in is actually a bit of an interesting take when you think about it. Because a lot of these types of films would have an element of mystery where the person is actually curious and wants to stick around and find out more about what's going on. But um, the captain, he he, most of what he talks about is about how to get out and to go yeah. and leave as quickly as possible. It adds a little bit of sense of um, jeopardy, though, I thought, because mm. he can sense the danger. Mm. But he does his own investigating later on. Yeah, yeah, he does. And I actually didn't have a lot of notes for this because there's a lot of sort of exposition and a lot of discussion about, you know, you're getting Reinhardt's take on what had happened 
about the crew had already left and um, that her father had passed away mm. and that he was a good friend and that it's just him and his robots now. Yeah. But immediately you can sort of tell that it's a story of hubris. Um, he goes, I'm about to prove to you that the end justifies the means. And there is a lot of that, that idea that, uh, that he believes that whatever he does is justified because what he's doing is so much more than anyone could comprehend. Mm. It's all his pet project. He's playing God. Yeah. And it did at this point, it reminded me of um, The Forbidden Planet, which was also one of yours, your films. Yeah, there is a bit of a parallel between these sort of scientists and their their inner monologues, mm. their justifications for doing the things that they do. Yeah. Um, there's probably a bit of a difference between the two, though. With Morbius, I think that... Uh, I think that some of his actions were either willful ignorance or just plain ignorance and he didn't realize the impact that he himself was having on his crew. Yeah. And he very much regretted it, whereas Hans um, thought everything that he did was justified yeah. um, and that everyone else was um, just a tool towards whatever it was that he was trying to achieve. I liked how they were trying to give him some complexity, though, but um, they didn't quite pull it off and it became a little bit too black and white. He's a villain. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I read, um, someone pointed out where Alex Durant standing next to Dr. Reinhardt and they're looking at the black hole and Alex says something like... um, can't believe I'm standing uh, next to something, the most destructive power in all the universe. And really, he's is he talking about the black hole or is he talking about Dr. Reinhardt oh. and the hubris of man? Right. That's interesting. I didn't pick up on that one. And there's a little bit of romance going on there too. Oh, yeah. So destructive. Look at you. Man, I love that. I love your thinking. <laughs> your brain just pulsates. Us scientists, we only see the attractiveness of one's intellect. Yeah. There are a few bits where there's just like a look that's kind of a little bit, oh, oh okay. Cool. Go for it. And then he'll look at her. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I did pick up on those. I like that. I love that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I also liked how broken Vincent, old Bob, looked a bit like Eric Cartman (laughs) from South Park. Oh, it did too. (laughs) I must admit there was something in the back of my head like, this looks familiar in some ways and not not just from Black Hole. And you've just hit the nail. (laughs) He looks like a character out of South Park. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. And so they get... Um, so he sends uh, the captain off with Maximilian... Maximilian. To, um, to get the parts to fix their ship that's been damaged. And they get introduced to Bob. Yeah. Which stands for Bio Sanitation Battalion. Ah, is a part of a battalion? So there were more? They had to fit Bob in somehow. So I'm <laughs> guessing so. <laughs> but they were the best. They just didn't have the budget. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They didn't have the budget to get someone to figure out acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's a character. But the interesting thing is is that he actually doesn't speak for quite some time. So you don't actually know if he has verbal speech or not. Mm, yeah. But when he does, he's got the southern accent. Yeah, that's right. And you wonder who thought of that. It's just like, should we go? Maybe it's like Siri and Google and all that, where you can actually select the voice. <laughs> we should have had Yoda. <laughs> should have had Frank Oz. Come on. 
<laughs> oh, sounds of the Arabs. <laughs> oh, man. That would have been awesome. So awesome. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, while they're doing all of that, while they're looking at the things, um, the captain uh, pops his head off um, to go apparently back to the ship or to check on something. And instead goes and does his own little investigation. Yeah, that was cool. I like that when he's searching around and the scores playing. Mm. The empty cabins looking at the clothes left behind. And yeah, it's great. He's looking, you know, at this point, Harry is looking at the robot with the mirror face as well. Um, and there's this sort of tragic melody playing. It's really melancholic. Mm. Um, there's this strong sense of mystery and foreboding. It's. I just love just the vibe of it. Mm. The funeral procession. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah, it looked epic. Hey, they were like knights. Mm. It actually reminded me a lot of Jedi. Yeah, uh, just the robes. There's, there is that very gothic sort of style to everything. It's really like a Viking funeral. How they launch it, the coffin into space. Mm. But they drop little bits in as well through this, like the the huge um, hum of energy from his generators. And it's like, oh, the first step to colonizing a galaxy. You know, there's these big concepts that they're just dropping little, you know, droplets in that, you know, mm. there's a bigger picture going on here. Sort of the beginnings of exploration. And here's this guy who's developed all this technology and capability that could greatly increase um like the good of mankind. Like yeah. he's talking about limitless power sources and anti-gravitational drives and, um, you know, being able to go through um, a black hole, all things that aren't currently capable outside from the rest of humanity. Yeah. And he even says it. All of this is just the beginning. All of this is just the beginning. You <laughs> know in time. <laughs> you filthy prawn. <laughs> filthy prawn. <laughs> 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 uh, pretty sure they stole Reinhardt's character in District 9 that was yeah just... I can see distinct parallels <laughs> Gina uh, Reinhardt yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you've managed to just whack a name in that has run. <laughs> An Australian, no less. Well, she wants to conquer some galaxy. I don't know. Uh, she wants to conquer the buffet. <laughs> I don't know. So Have you Gina. seen Gina Reinhardt? She's the doctor of the buffet. Table. <laughs> She's uh, her own anti gravitational yeah. field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it is sort of like a play, you know, and most of the story is shot on a soundstage. The interplay of characters and the dialogue is important and the power between parties. They're scientists and what they're siding with. I guess, yeah, and I think probably some of the script lets it down a little bit or I don't know, some of the acting. The I did think that the Harry uh, character, the journalist, was probably the most different character out of all of them. Just this enthusiastic, almost bungling investigative type guy mm. uh, who is later revealed to be more of a coward than anything else. That was heartbreaking. That wasn't his character at all. The double cross. You reckon? But that element of, well, like the first thing he suggested was let's take over the ship. Well, that was like unknown, but like to sell out his friends. I don't know. That was a bit of a stretch for me. Yeah. I don't know. 
maybe he considered all of them to be mad mm. and that this was his last chance. Oh, I missed the line. Shall we discuss this over dinner? <laughs> and he's looking right at Alex Durant. Yeah, yes, I saw that too. Ah, oh, so good. He was so propositioning. Yeah, I know. And I, I like there's this line Daddy says at dinner and he goes, you're the only people to know of my existence. I just thought that that's somewhat of a hint. That was somewhat South African too. <laughs> Never, never. That wasn't South African. That why would it be South African? <laughs> Obviously not. Um, but he's speaking of um, accents. Uh, the Vince uh, Bob is the other Vincent I had him. I didn't know he was Bob at this point. He starts speaking at this point. And he goes, "He did things to me I sure don't like to think about." <laughs> yeah it's just yeah i the the robots are complete caricatures and they're so like the maximilian robot is such a cool bad robot and he just the everything is so incongruous with these two robots with their with their wonderful uh expressive eyes of surprise and they introduce star as well this darth vader black robot well the black robot's always the best yeah and he even has the panel in the front they didn't really disguise the fact that it's Darth Vader (laughs) well I was trying to uh, it took me a while to realize that he's actually cradling a a medal oh he's actually that's what he was doing he was like rubbing his hand over a medal that he won for being the best all right okay so what Vincent did when he did that shooting back thing was he destroyed the medal Ah, oh, that's what it was. And okay. Yeah, and it that's why it had a, a mental nervous breakdown. Oh, I see. So the robot wasn't destroyed, it actually had a hissy fit. Oh, I didn't see that. Cool. So it wasn't just a waste of time that whole <laughs> scene with the, <laughs> with the shoot off. It wasn't just to buy more time in this really deep part of the, you know, the story. No, no, it absolutely had some sort of meaning of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> all that sharpshooting i think it was to show that those their robots are really good yeah but then they can be easily defeated by four humans <laughs> yeah <laughs> so at that point bob takes vincent aside and tells him the truth and explains to him what has actually happened to the crew and it all comes out mm. um in a big splash of exposition yeah where he goes, this is a death chip. I can't even do it. Yeah. But I like all oh, while this is going on, there's the other plot of Alex changing his allegiance to his his crew members and he's siding up with um the filthy prawn certificate. <laughs> um, you know, finding the ultimate knowledge. Yeah. And you know, it's a sort of yeah, he's like willing to share his knowledge with us. It's what's important to him. The one mystery that has eluded mankind. And, and he very he is very much on board with um with Dr. Reinhardt. And all the vibes that everyone else is getting that there's something wrong with this dude. This guy's like just oblivious to all of that. Yeah. So he just sees the 
accomplishments that he's made. And I loved his performance of that because he completely sold it. Like it's a glorious pilgrimage straight into what may be the mind of God. <laughs> Such a cool premise, man. Yeah. And the way he delivered that line, it was just like, wow, you can see it. He's sort of, that's all he cares about. Well, that's like, uh, I think that lends itself to the discussion. The, like, I think the main concept around the whole unknown of the inside of the black hole is based around the idea that um, the laws of physics break down once you get um, into the depths of a black hole. And with that is if the laws of physics break down. What is actually within it? Space and time like reverse or something like that. I, I, I must admit, I don't know full detail, but I know that there's a lot of speculation that has occurred about what it actually is like inside a black hole once you get past the event horizon. But they were trying to explore it here and they didn't say in the dialogue, long cherished laws of nature simply do not apply. They vanish life forever. So they're sort of, they're really leading up to it. They're painting it in this very suspenseful yeah, light. Yeah. And, um, in some ways, if you if you disregard all the murder, the death, the isolation and all of that, you know, he has achieved quite a bit. And um, yeah, go ahead. Go into the black hole. Go for it, man. <laughs> go for it. So at that point, um, a lot of hijinks is ensuing in the explanation. Well, the robots go off on their little side quest and they get ambushed. And so at this point, they had to attack a couple of the red robots and they vincent admits it to dan and you know he says if they're found and then i like the, the robert foster because he's immediately on board and he gives it that urgency he's like gotcha vincent start the countdown and the plot starts to step up a notch mm. and i think he sold that well and i read this quote from robert foster he says you're trying to build a roller coaster track something that will carry the audience down and up and around the curve and you owe something to everybody and at the end of the ride if you're not believable the audience won't be with you at the end of the shot so shot by shot he's he's like on the ball and he's trying to create this you know this believable arc so I really like think that is his strength. I loved him in Jackie Brown, man. Oh yeah, he's awesome in Jackie Brown. Yeah, absolutely. He was in Mulholland Drive as well. Oh right, okay. Mm. Um, I don't know that movie too well. I think I've seen a bit of it. Uh, so one of the things that's going on also is Vincent is communicating telepathically with uh, Kate, and and that was a- really her moment. Hey, she delivered, you know, she was delivered that information via ESP, mm. and you just had to read from her expressions, and that was done quite well. What did you think? I agree. I agree. Um, it was like, I noticed that as well that she had to respond without knowing, like without anything to work off. So I thought she did a good job there. And um, I had a bit of trivia actually around her character. Did you like her as an actor? To some extent, I thought she was good, but sometimes she flipped a bit to being a bit of a damsel, if you know what I mean, like uh, being trapped and she gets rescued by the captain and they, they kind of hug and almost kiss type thing. Yeah, there was a bit of something, something there. Hey, it almost felt like a bit of history, but yeah, it was a bit, I don't know. I didn't mind that because, you know, it would be believable if they were sort of entangled in some respects, being mm. so, you know, isolated from the rest of humanity. Entirely entirely possible for four dudes, one girl and a robot. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't sound doesn't sound foreign at all. <laughs> Sounds like a sitcom. <laughs> um, or the, the sequel to um, The Forbidden Planet. <laughs> 
that um the trivia I had, Jennifer O'Neill was originally cast and the director because like they were saying the long hair wasn't gonna cut it in in space because like it would just be flying everywhere. You know, they couldn't have tied it up like they did with Leia. <laughs> they couldn't just put her <laughs> hair up. They had to cut it off. And so they forced this woman to cut her hair and that was like her main calling card and she was traumatized, so she had all these whines and she got in a car accident and then they had to recast her. <laughs> Because oh my god! After really? All this hair. Yeah. She was traumatized because her hair got cut. Yeah. Wow. And for the film, and then they had to recast her with the uh, Yvette. What was her name? Uh, Millie. 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 I think yeah. it was. Yeah. But she did a good job. I liked her, especially in that part where it's really a mini climax isn't it where they're sort of leading up to alex knowing and he pulls off the mask and you see that it's a corpse what did you think of that reveal i really liked that part that whole section of the film was really well orchestrated um they're sort of getting increasingly more dramatic with the score the camera angles the lighting and they're sort of tighter and tighter in on the faces until that reveal it was really well done yeah yeah, I thought so too. Oh, I had one more bit of trivia. They were almost casting Sigourney Weaver in the film as Kate. And um, the, the producers said, oh my God, with the name like Sigourney Weaver, we don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, man. Uh, I just love, like there's, there's always terrible reasons to hire people <laughs> that people come up with. Oh, that's great. I don't think that this really would have been a Sigourney Weaver character, though. No, but I mean, she's amazing. She could have pulled off anything. (laughs) Yeah, true. She might have done it. She might have changed the character entirely. Yeah, stronger woman, I think. Stronger force to be reckoned with. Mm. And poor Alex at this point uses the book to defend himself, but he still died. But apparently that was uh, improvised by Perkins, the book defending thing. I thought that was oh, a powerful is that right? metaphor. I thought that was, yeah, that, that was a, almost a Christopher Nolan type death mm. where there's no blood, but it's all implied. And yeah. I think it was that scene that actually gave it the PG rating. Right. Where, you know, he gets clawed to death from by Maximilian. It's powerful, hey? Mm. And uh, and the guy's not very happy with it at all. But then he, out of character, says, protect me from Maximilian. He whispers to Dr. Kate. Um, and it muddies things a little bit. Apparently, that was improvised, too, from Shell. Yeah, they, they thought that he improvised it, yeah. Um, but then again, it does muddy things a bit, which is not terrible. Um, it adds that question of, like, is Maximilian controlling things? Is he lying to her? Is he insane? Mm. But then he says, time to, has come to liquidate our guests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's straight right. up. And then epic fight scenes. Um, yeah, just lots of laser battles. Laser battles. Flying all over the place, robots getting destroyed, flying apart, them escaping to different areas of the ship. The music was cool to begin with, but then it just becomes a little off because they're playing this uplifting score for the whole part. But what we're seeing on screen is a struggle, a battle, and it just takes away from a little bit. It's like, no, this isn't all uplifting. We need to hear, like, the conflict. I completely agree with you. There was something so wrong about the music. It almost sounded like someone had left the record on (laughs) and it was playing on a loop. (laughs) 
because there were scenes where the the music itself was positive and leads to a climax and then as soon as it reaches the climax another thing happens so it has to play that loop Mm, again to lead to the climax so that was a bit of a missed opportunity but the laser fights were really epic though Mm. and we'll catch them in the crossfire i love that move where they just come behind them and it's well orchestrated action yeah there was a bit where i was wondering hang on are the robots holding hands because <laughs> 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 at a point like the robots were just flying around doing like a, a skating move and they're holding yeah hands. this isn't survivor <laughs> this is the love boat the love <laughs> yeah, ship that's right this is not the bikini <laughs> obstacle course come on guy um yeah, but the, a lot of that action is is a lot of fun. And Reinhardt's like losing his mind here. He smacks his forehead and then he whispers to the inanimate corpse. It's like <laughs> he's, he's just going all out. Yeah, he's starting to lose it. And and that's when um, Harry says something to uh, what, what well, is he it? broke they, his they... leg in the first minute of trying to escape. He faked it, yeah, that's Sneaky right. Harry, like, double-crossing, oh, yellow oh, belly. He had a soccer injury. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, I actually switched it off when he double-crossed them. I thought, that's not Harry. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> you reckon? He did complain a lot leading up to that yeah. point. Like, that was his arc. Like, he started off with someone who was sort of this neutral yeah. character. You know, enthusiastic, but when the conflict starts arising, when you have a choice of to to man up or not, he um goes in the wrong direction. Yeah, fair enough. And I guess he, if he was to jump on board, he'd just have been another one of the characters doing their thing. Ah, oh, true. They had to give it some complexity, but it, it felt a little bit like a um out of kilter for like the a Game of Thrones um Daenerys moment where you know, oh, okay, she just kill she just raises a whole city <laughs> to, the ground. <laughs> to the ground <laughs> in one yeah. in the space of two episodes that arc yeah. was a little bit pushed <laughs> i think that they didn't give it time to um to mature especially if there was some hint of that evilness in the, in the beginning anywhere <laughs> anywhere of that cowardice you know like but there wasn't he was this you know he was a he was a good guy, man. Harry, he was my guy. He seemed like a decent... He, he was a decent chap up until that point. But then they kill him pretty much later. <laughs> they killed Harry. All these bastards. You know? <laughs> you bastards. You done bastards. <laughs> you blew him up. Yeah, so he... Basically, he uh, tricks the guy, gets in the ship, uh, tries to escape, gets shot down by um, Dr. Reinhardt, and it crashes into the ship. Yeah. And then out of the blue comes an asteroid field. Meteor effects look cool though. Yeah, yeah. And some of the, like a lot of the actions and the inter- like the crashing into the ship and stuff is really awesome. It just seemed, one of those things as a kid, you, you don't quite think about, but it you wonder, like there's got to be a connection between this asteroid field and what's happening in the action. Mm. But there doesn't seem to be any connection. No, like absolutely there, none. Yeah, it's just all of a sudden uh, on top of the ship crashing into um, the Cygnus, you've also got an asteroid field suddenly, uh, <laughs> meteorites suddenly appear. Yeah. Um, Bit of trivia, 550 visual effect shots. Oh. And the meteors look spectacular, so that's why they put them in. Mm. <laughs> Would you say that this action scene sort of constitute uh, Act 3? Yeah, 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 so yeah. We've got it. So, did you have a name for the Act 3? 
Um, well, my act was slightly later. Let's go with yours. Oh, okay. Uh, you're probably right. You're normally more right than me, but I'll, I'll go for it anyway. Um, mine was great glowing gonads <laughs> <laughs> and the glory hole. <laughs> oh, the glory hole, dude. <laughs> great growing gonads. That was a uh, message from message space. From space. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> the little liabi nuts. Yeah, yeah. In this, in this, <laughs> in this case, very large liabi nuts. <laughs> Smashing into shit. Uh, you know, Reinhardt was a clan in Ark too. Do you remember Reinhardt? Oh, was it? Yeah. There you go. And I think that was South African. <laughs> oh, God. That's, the, the, that's some trivia right there. That's trivia for no one but you and me. <laughs> oh, but there's God. a little Vincent and Maximilian showdown where he sort yeah. of drills into him. Yeah. And what did you think of like when he like the the scream of maximilian i found it really disturbing actually he was a great actor i loved him he's an oscar winner old shell <laughs> yeah. he's top grade stuff man i know i'm talking <laughs> i'm talking about the maximilian robot all oh, right i'm oh, sorry you remember when the yeah so vincent and maximilian have a showdown because his name is maximilian i know <laughs> it's just like I'm, I'm i'm guessing that wasn't a coincidence <laughs> but um yeah all right but, i didn't even hear the scream oh no he, so when you know how he drills inside the robot to kill him so that he floats off into the black was hole? there a scream okay yeah there's like this sort of really high-pitched howling type scream all oh, right okay. and then it flies off into the black hole should have been sorry about that chief <laughs> oh jesus oh that hurts oh oh gosh oh no it should have been dot adam <laughs> yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> sorry about that chief <laughs> mr by uh, that much yeah, i missed you by that much and you got me right in the middle <laughs> Would you believe? <laughs> yeah. Would you believe one hole? Oh, man, terrible. Yeah. Bob dies there. That was quite yeah. sad. We're the best. Mm. But then we're back in a cockpit and well, it's about like what all space movies are. It's that tight cockpit shot of the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are, you know, the emotions. So that's when they've gotten into the ship to escape. And the probe. Yep, into the probe. But before that, um, the ship is cracking and falling apart and Reinhardt, uh, a, a, uh, one of the screens falls on top of him. Yeah, gets crushed. Yeah, and he's crying to his crew to help him and they're all ignoring him. Very ironic death. There's chances all around him for people to help him, but mm. none of them are willing or capable of doing so. Do you think it was an impactful death? Oh, yeah. Mm. Man, that Maximilian shell, he pulls it off, man. Yeah. I still remember Maximilian. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember that sort of cry to this day from the back of my Wow. Not, not, a, not like a, like an emotional one, but it's just, just the way that he says it. Powerful. Derek, Derek. <laughs> Love him. Hate him. Uh, well, that was my... Because when they go into the black hole, uh, he says, you mean we're going to, into the black hole? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> of that line. It's just Dan. He's so matter of fact. Um, yeah. But that was my act three. Shell's not dead. He won the Constellation Prize. 
And, um, you know, Dr. Kate and Dan hold hands as they're going through the wormhole, the uh, Einstein-Rosenberg bridge. Well, if that's what it was. um, (laughs) I like how they just just drop it in. Yeah, Yeah, it's just like, do you think it might be an Einstein-Rosenberg bridge? I don't know. It's just like everyone else is going, oh, definitely. Absolutely. That was my second thought. (laughs) They don't explain it. But Uh, but it's a wormhole. And they sort of had these echoey effects and the stutter effect on the frames at this point as they're going through and the zoom in on the eye. (laughs) They're all repeating these phrases that just are completely random. Where are the best? Wow, you did that well. They could have saved a lot of money and just got you to do all the yeah. sound effects, sound <laughs> That's design. Right. Yeah. But then we see um, Shell, um, Reinhardt, atop the mountain. He's... Uh, yeah, so he, he, he's floating through some some sort of like starscape. Mm. And then Maximilian comes and plonks into him. And suddenly Maximilian and Reinhardt become one. Yeah. And he's inside... Maximilian. Yep. And I'm wondering, did they write this for the actor rather than for the film? Because Maximilian is Reinhardt and Reinhardt is act Maximilian. <laughs> and that... he's in a shell and yeah. it's Maximilian shell. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, good V. And and that's when we get to this, yeah, this very um, metaphysical is the word often oft used. Um hellscape where he's literally in hell yeah he's on mount doom and um you've got uh, all of these monks who who look like his robed figures of the robots just walking through damnation well, it was fire and brimstone it was full on it wasn't subtle no there was no <laughs> subtlety it was like do you think he's somewhere where do you think he is <laughs> We better make it red in case they don't get it. <laughs> make reckon, it bright red. Do you reckon red? Well, what about when we get to heaven? <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe an off... Crystals. Yeah, crystals is good. Yeah. <laughs> and they go through that arched hallway. It looked but, amazing with the mm, lights. Mm. I, I Look, I did... the As a kid, I really did like that stuff because to a kid, it's just like, so is this... Is this actually what's happening or is it in her mind or, you know, you're, you're wondering what is actually going on? Yeah. I don't think many people have a definitive answer to it because I'm not actually sure that the writers of the movie had a definitive answer to what they were going to have at this point. Yeah, I was reading an interview and they were saying the original script just had some going into the black hole. There was no definitive ending and they had, you know, 130 days to figure it out (laughs) (laughs) while shooting. Um, this is what they came up with. There was a shot of the Sistine Chapel that they were going to put in. So it was going to be a little bit more religious. Even more so, yeah. It's going to zoom in on the hand of God reaching the hand of uh, man. And I read something where Kate featured very largely in this alternative ending. Right. Where she was, it was almost sounded a bit like 2001 as well, where she's looking at herself, looking at someone going into her eyeball, going out of her eyeball, into her eyeball, and then 
then appearing on the roof of the Sistine Chapel. Mm. And then it's her looking up at the Sistine Chapel. So it featured her a lot in all of that symbolism. Mm. What it actually meant, I'm not even sure they knew. It just sounded Well, trippy. the studio scrapped the religious overtones. They said it was too much. So that was the studio's fault of not including that stuff. Do you think it would have worked? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I don't think it would have worked at all. I think it would have made things even more confusing. Mm. I'm not even sure if it would have made any sense. Yeah. Because in all of the stuff that I looked at, there doesn't seem to be anyone who's actually explaining what's going on. Well, the religious tones are very clear, though, to me. They talked about the lack of, you know, to find God in the black hole. That's what he said, Alex, you know, midway through the film. And then we've got heaven and hell. It was all pretty, pretty uh, literal. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, do you find, like, what does that mean to find God? Because it seems more that they... um, There's like this representation of God, this representation of heaven and hell, that they actually go to heaven and hell, but you don't actually see them in the ship doing that. You just see it from the perspective of Reinhardt and Maximilian. Did you want to see a bearded white guy? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, no, but the bearded white guy has to turn and look at the screen and go, they found me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) I was in the hole all along. Uh oh. I three wishes. It's acted by Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Junior, you're all juniors to me. Uh, that would have been good. <laughs> It would be, it would be of the, if it was in the 80s, I reckon it would have featured Sean Connery at the end, in, in the black hole. <laughs> but you were saying that there was a little bit of Faustian stuff going on with, you know, Shell making a deal with the devil. and Yeah, well, I guess the, the argument is that he's sacrificed his humanity for all of these achievements that he's tried to, to grasp hold of, to challenge God. Like there's very much this thing of Reinhardt, you know, the anti-gravitational thing where they're sitting at the edge of the black hole and then not being pulled in. The hubris of man and all of that symbolism around, you know, person challenging uh, God and that um, there are repercussions to those types of actions. Yeah. You end up in hell burning in a robot. Yeah, well, I had that noted exactly. And it wasn't for pleasure. It was for knowledge that he was seeking. Mm. And that belief that he is God almost. Mm. So, but I, what I don't quite get is if it's a representation of him going to hell, who's going to heaven? But is he going to heaven? Maybe. Maybe he's gone through hell and gone to heaven. Maybe that person in the robe figure wasn't a woman at all. Could he? He had long flowing hair. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's another possibility, I guess. All right. I don't really know, because the the ship's not doing it, is it? Is the ship going through heaven and hell? Is it just showing that that's what's in there, and but they don't see it, or do they see it? Because we come out of her eyeball. Mm. Is it because she's an ESP person that she's ESPing all of this? Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good possibility. All these questions, Derek, Mm. created. And I'm guessing probably unintentionally so. (laughs) It did leave it quite open, Mm. which was good. I think, 
yeah, to have a definitive ending would just would, would spoil it. Yeah, I agree. And that ending where they, you know, going towards a, a planet, planetoid at the other end of... The, it was sort the of pole. eclipse, really, wasn't it? Eclipse planet in front of a stun or a star. Mm. So that leads to the question of what did they come out the other side of well neil degrassi tyson deemed this film to be the least scientifically accurate movie of all time rubbish (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that there's like hasn't he seen many movies (laughs) (laughs) but i i got this whole uh chris nolan inspiration from this you know from interstellar Mm. and you mentioned um Event Horizon, mm. uh, that delved really into the dark side in that one. That that almost was a, a horror version of the black hole in a way, Event Horizon, because that was going, they created a wormhole in Event Horizon and they went through there and discovered hell. Mm. So in a way, Event Horizon is a blatant ripoff of the black hole. Yeah. Um, with a lot more nudity in it. <laughs> but I was wondering what sort of scientific rigidity is required in film these days. Yeah, I don't know. And, and I think that sometimes is based around what genre you're in. Science fiction, I think the idea of science fiction is often wrapped around the idea of asking big questions, big questions about the unknown and the future. So, I mean, if you look at Star Trek as an example, a lot of Star Trek is episode by episode asking these moral quandaries or presenting these situations that you wouldn't otherwise be expected to to be in. And you get some of that. At the boundary of our knowledge, right? Yeah. So, I guess as our knowledge expands, certain things lose their uh, validity as being a part of science fiction. They seem to become more uh, fact or just blatant storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. So example is a lot of, you know, when we didn't know much about what was in our solar system, the idea of beings being on Mars and the idea of what the planets were made of, whether Jupiter was a volcanic planet or a, or a giant gas planet. Yeah. Those things start off as what I guess you could call science fiction because they're asking questions about what's out there. They're making assumptions, but they kind of have to, to some extent, and explore certain questions. So... I think that as the as technology and our understanding of the universe changes, maybe some of the questions stay the same, but they explore concepts that we hadn't even thought of during that time, like quantum physics, as an example. We often delve into the science fiction of the quantum realm now, which we hadn't done up until that point. Mm. So I guess there's always new questions to be asked, and that's what science fiction is great at doing but i think in this film's uh regard that there it does cross into the level of art and sort of representation of yeah pure fiction it's not really trying to be scientific about the ending (laughs) and star wars is not an example of science fiction either it's more fantasy Mm. uh, and that more fictional aspect because it's not asking star wars isn't asking big questions I think the black hole was trying to ask big questions. Well, it was sort of, it was posing this sort of moral ground and this ethical question of, you know, what to what extent are Reinhardt's actions justified? Like he was right, as you say, he actually figured out a way to go through the Einstein-Rosenberg bridge. Um, but at what point is this justified? I think that the thing in the black hole is, is that they very much say that it's not justified because they show him going to hell. Mm. Uh but in so like that's the almost like the judgment of well of Disney 
in a way. Yeah. I don't know. That's a it's a tough question with the whole justification for horrible acts. You know, we have many examples in the past of um, horrible scientific activities being undertaken, very immoral acts, and then because you know potentially good things come of it. Yeah. Yep. 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 But um, what about you? Uh, I tend to agree that, um, yeah, I tend to agree with Disney's prognosis and their judgment that he's going to hell. <laughs> he's going <laughs> he deserves to be in. He's going to burn for all eternity. We're all Catholics here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's um, reinforcing the, uh, you know, the American moral code. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, D- Disney, Disney has a very definitive moral code. Uh, not to its employees so much as to chill what it believes children to be but i mean we were sort of just bouncing around ideas before this and it it led me to believe that just to bring up that things are changing in america with you know the the case that donald trump is now their president and leading them and there are people that believe in his ethics and his morals and this huge sort of just slant towards pure capitalism Mm. um so i think things will change like it will change the landscape of how how things uh, what we, what our new normal is. So is that in terms of what we justify as right and wrong? Yeah, yeah. I think that we've always done that. We've always found ways to justify our actions. Often it's just us looking through the eyes of history that has a view of whether what they did was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I always think it's very. It's always shades of grey. I think there's a point where something just like. At a primal level, the majority rebels against it. But what happens when the majority is like it? <laughs> As in, in the case of Donald Trump, he got in, man, by majority vote. Well, that's that's right. So maybe maybe Trump is the most moral of us all, Derek. That's what I mean. Like, what point will do our, do our leaders uh, pave the way to what we define as good and bad? Yeah. Well, that's what we said. I mean, you could argue that that's what they—that's what uh, Nazi Germany was all about. Mm. So yeah. So are you saying you're a fascist, Derek? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just a certifican. You just certifican. That's right. <laughs> Pick your massacre. But um, I was going to ask you because this is your one of your films. Mm. Uh, if you could go into space on one of these missions, potentially one way, would you go? Um, I, I think it might. Uh, it might be based around what I'm leaving. I think. Mm. Um, and where I would be going. But, you know, at your core, when you're a kid, you know, this is you and had nothing to lose. I wish I could say that I'm one of the people that would be in the ship going off, being the first person, wanting to be that person who, who explores and be, and Yeah, it appeals to you, right? There's a part of me it definitely appeals to, but knowing myself and, and, uh, more about myself, I'd have, I think I would be dishonest to say that I would be one of those people. Oh? Yeah, in some ways I wish I was. Uh, just that feeling of confidence and that overriding um, desire to know and explore being the most important thing. But I don't think to me these days it is the most important thing. Mm. I think more it's about my family and stuff. So yeah. so I, I think that... Um, 
how I relate to others and what I do around others seems to be more important to me than to discover new things. As much as I would like to think that that is the case, I don't think really deep down that's that's who I am. Wow. But what about you, man? Would you be first at the bat? I would I would go, man. I want to be Hans Tolo, baby. You'd just say, <laughs> screw you all. <laughs> screw you guys. Han Solo. Han Solo. And so my next follow-up question is, if you're a mad scientist... What experiment would you run if money and ethics weren't an issue? Who could we experiment on? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, if I was a mad scientist, man, money and ethics would not be an issue then. Uh, Maybe some type of super weapon, probably. Oh, yeah, I like the sound of that. Yeah, what about you? I would uh, breed my own Chewbacca. (laughs) Han Solo, baby. It's all about Han Solo. But the thing about Han Solo is he wasn't exactly an explorer, man. No, he was a ruffian. He was a, yeah. In some ways, they changed his character slightly in Solo where it started off about a girl. Mm, Yeah, that's true. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, he, like, he was willing to explore, but that wasn't the reason that he did it. Yeah, he was always reluctant. That scoundrel. Yeah, that scoundrelous bastard. So how would this uh, rate on your nostalgia meter? Oh, this is pretty high. Um, Give it a nine. Wow, really high. Yeah, it's because it forms a part of how I feel about some things. Um, The brooding, the, the, um, the darkness and the mystery of science fiction. You know, the haunted house type feel, that questioning about the mystery of the unknown. And the music and the visuals in this more than anything else and the sounds, those are things that I kind of take with me without even realizing it, I think. Yeah. Would you say other films have sort of hit that bell, have struck that chord with you since then? I would say so here and there. Not that I could think off the top of my head. Interstellar is the one that comes to my mind in this. Yeah. uh, To a degree, I think Interstellar. There were some elements of that 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 did have that feeling. There were others that, I don't know, there is a bit doom and gloom in some ways in Interstellar. Mm. That was the only thing that kind of I'd had enough of was just... um, oh yes the earth is being destroyed we all have to leave it Mm. it's not that that's a bad premise it's just that it was just a premise it's not my biggest fan because we're kind of facing it Mm. (laughs) yep yep. yeah what about you man what did you think of the film i thought it was good it was like a nice slightly darker version of the sci-fi films that were sort of flooding the market at this time you know we brought it up message from space and you know there are all these um star wars copies but this was the darker sort of more complex characters and there's some strong acting here by shell forrester and perkins and incredible special effects and a solid score so it was really just let down by a couple of inconsistencies and they just unfortunately add up to rob this film of something greater yeah, I would agree with that. It's a cautionary tale. If you find yourself on a research mission in deep space, <laughs> whatever you do, don't listen to Harry. <laughs> Harry, you're always it, Harry. Oh, he's the cause of all problems, isn't oh, he? I, I, I would have thought the moral would have been if you're on a deep space mission in deep space, don't become a mad genius and murder your crew. <laughs> that too. That too. Nah, I like Harry's thing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's their downfall. Gotta watch out for them. Don't Harry's. have a robot with googly eyes. 
Uh, well, thanks for that, man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it was good. So, what do we have next? Well, for our next film, we're actually going on out for the big guns. It's a joint custody mog. Star Wars, A New Star Hope. Star Wars. 1977. Star Wars, awesome. Or as I'd like to call it, Star Wars, A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's the source of all the Peter's films. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. That'll be awesome, man. Yeah. On, and then. shout out to everyone who's tuned in on YouTube. We've had tens of views. <laughs> <laughs> and Spotify to my brother who started listening and tuning in. Thanks, Mark. Um, and a quick dedication to John Bryson, who was my neighbor. And he always used to put up with me recording these. He used to think that I was on the phone. <laughs> he was very patient with me as I'm screaming and laughing and carrying on through these thin walls. <laughs> Doing Arnold Schwarzenegger oh my gosh I'm so patient so thanks everyone for listening mm. yeah thanks very much guys all the best insert catchphrase here <laughs> stopping now stopping